0: Others. Let's pray together. Father, um, in your word it says, Isaiah 64, cry out to you, oh that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence. Lord, we thank you for these moments we have where maybe we catch a glimpse in worship of of you entering in amongst us where Lord, other things cease and focus comes upon you. Lord, might you increase that in this room and in our lives in the days and months and years ahead that, that your presence might so come amongst us that you change us, that you move us in greater ways toward your word, toward your purposes, toward your truth. Thanks for this morning. Lord, now as we look into your word, as we continue to consider what it means to live a generous life for you, for your kingdom, for your name, give us wisdom, give us insight. Lord, we believe your word is true. Help us to wrap our lives around that which you've proclaimed. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning um, we are going to continue in our um, five-week series called "Living Generously," and it's going to be a video in just a few minutes that will help us um, continue on a journey of what it means to live a life that is generous. Um, now, <clears throat> there's this phrase that you may have heard. It's called "it's, it's this um, taking root," right? Something that takes root. It means it has substance depth. So, I grew up on a farm. And growing up on a farm, we planted crops. And planting crops, we had old machinery that could not be always trusted. So it would be often that we would stop the tractor when planting. And we'd go behind. And my dad had his, like, trusty pair of pliers he always had on his side, right? And I would get off, like, as a 4-year-old with my blue shirt on, my pants on, my belt, just like my dad, with my pliers. Right? My pliers were the same size as his. They went down to, like, my ankle. And I would get out, and Dad would take the end of his pliers, not the teeth, and he would scrape into the dirt, and he would see how far the seed was being planted and how deep it was. Now, we'd done preparation before that, and we'd tilled the soil so it was soft, right? And and the seed could actually take root in the soil. But there was a danger if you planted it too deep, it wouldn't get up to the surface to get what it needed at the right time, and it would die. Or if it was too shallow... Right, it would it would blow over when the winds came, and so it was important that the seed was at the right depth and at the right time, or it wouldn't take root. So that might be the proper way of that phrase, making sure that something takes root. Now we know it also. I'm in the throes of reading, writing, and arithmetic in my house. I'm relearning math. Um, I, evidently, it did not take root in my life as well as I thought it did, um, and so I'm doing this with my children. And so what do we do? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And we do that, and we really know as we progress in school when word problems and then algebra and all these other things, did the basics take root to build upon other things? So this taking root thing, we, we get it, right, that something has to take root for it to actually work out in our life. And so, so this is the basic principle that we're going to talk about today, and I think you'll see in the video, and it is. And we, so let's agree to this that it is possible for things to not actually take root in our life that we think did. Are you with me on that? Would you agree with that, right? So very simply to seed to very basic things in this world. The other principle that we'll read in the text as possible today is that it is possible for us to believe that the Christian faith, the gospel, other things have taken a root in our life when our behavior, when our actions, when our lives would show something very different. Would you agree with that? Okay. It's important that we ground that. What we're going to see is that Frank, and what we've seen over these last few videos, is a man's heart that is softening, and the soil is becoming fertile for some seeds to be planted and for them to take deeper root in his life. Let's watch together as we watch his journey continue in faith and in generosity. First Timothy six, seventeen, eighteen, Ray quoted, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Notice that about treasures, they can come and they can go fast. But on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy, they are to do good, be rich in good works, be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. So we see from the beginning of the foundations of the world, God made everything in order. He created us to walk in an intimate way with him in perfect unity. And then in the scriptures, we read in Genesis 3, that there's an abrupt shift, that Adam and Eve sin. And in that sin, this world becomes broken and fallen in multiple ways. It breaks every fabric of this world. Really today, what we're going to be talking about is maybe the proper title would be A Theology of Mercy. Um, We've titled it Living Generously Poor. But really, the text we're going to look at and what we're going to talk about is really about what does it mean to show mercy and to show care and to show kindness, to live out of the generosity that has been shown to us through the person of Jesus Christ. In the fall of man, there were four things that we distinctly see in Genesis 3. The result of the fall of man, we see there is a spiritual alienation from God. Adam and Eve walked with man, God as man walks with a friend. And in that moment when sin enters this world, we see a brokenness, an alienation between man and God, a separation. And then we see a psychological break. There's an alienation from self. There's anxiety and worry. They begin to wonder what they look like and what they should do. And they have fear, shame, and guilt. And these things make Adam and Eve nearly neurotic. Has anyone experienced these three things? Fear, shame, and guilt. They're identifiers of sin in our life, and they're a result of the fall. We see social, right, alienation from others. Adam and Eve begin to blame one another. They say, you did it. No, you did it. No, you did it. And there becomes this relational brokenness, but not just social alienation from others. We're going to go back to that one. But physical, alienation from creation and life. Man was made to walk in harmony with God, made to never die. And what happens in the fall of man is death enters this world. And not only death, but hardship through a disruption of the union between God, man and earth. And in this, we see a decay of the earth and a decay of our very own lives. Now, there's hope in all of these. Now, social, go back there for a moment. That's where we would typically think of mercy in ministry and mercy in life. Because there is a social brokenness that exists all around us in this world. The social brokenness is a, a, a broken, <clears throat> broken relationships between one another. We'll talk about it in a minute in the text. It's kind of like the things we see in this world that ought not be. Children ought not have parents. Something when we see it, it's stark and we recognize there's a social disorder. People ought not go hungry and starve, right? We see that and we say this is not how it's supposed to be. We see other broken things socially around us in our world and there's something in us that says that's Not right. Are you with me? Anybody? We see this all around us in the world. And so when the fall of man happens, we see a spiritual brokenness between us and God, psychological alienation from from self. We see a brokenness even in our own minds, in our own souls. There's a tear between the two. We see social brokenness in relationships, and we see also a physical brokenness. And now, what God wants in creation and life, death enters now into the world. Now, when we think of mercy and when we think about justice, when we think about ministry in regards to these, this is something that God wants to deeply do. He wants to restore every facet of these, and he will increasingly do it through those who believe, and one day he will do it forever He will increasingly, what he desires from us as the people of God, is to be proclaimers of this great news. I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. I have been made new, and I want to tell others about it. I don't want to keep it hidden because this is a wonderful thing in which he's done inside of me. I do believe it is great news. Not only do we have good news, but we have this psychological alienation from self that is happening. And I am so grateful that God is healing me through my brothers and sisters in Christ and through the deep truths of who he said I am, that I am secure, that I am saved, I am free. I no longer have to be anxious. I no longer have to fear because I can hope and trust in my God that I don't have to have shame over my sin anymore. I don't have to fear what God is going to do to me anymore. And I no longer have any guilt because of what Christ has done for me. Not only that, but socially, I now can have relationships that are healthy and whole with, with my wife, with my children, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and with this world. And not only that, but he allows us to step in to the broken things, and so for us on that journey of life... It's meant that we've been able to plant churches, which are basically, I believe, centers of mercy and justice in this world to go out. Not only here I've been able to do that, but in other places I've served in my life and ministry, I've been able to step in orphanages and bring resources and people and connect families to be adopted. We brought orphans into our home and we've held them. And I've been up at two o'clock in the evening holding a little baby. And literally the thought pops in my mind, God, thank you so much for allowing me to hold this little baby that no one else in this world knows about but me and my wife. And thanks for letting us love it, as long as you'll let us have it. Socially, he's allowing not only that to be restored in my own life, but also using me to restore that in others. And don't hear me saying I got it all together. Just hang out with me for a few minutes, and you'll find out I don't. Or you'll email me how I don't. And so then physically, (laughs) physically, alienation... Right from creation and life. Now there's this reality that some of this isn't gonna be restored until Jesus returns. Because there's a brokenness in this world that just it's just there. A hundred out of a hundred people die. Fact. Five out of five didn't approve that message. Like it's just it is what it is. Like death is coming. But see, what the scriptures say is there's not a second death for those who believe in Christ Jesus. And that second death is one that will be cast away forever in damnation from God where hell is, where Satan doesn't rule and reign, but where he will be cast also for all those who don't believe and place their faith and trust in Jesus. But those who believe, there will not be a second death, but life eternal in Christ Jesus but the pain and the brokenness of this world, it's kind of just like a machine that just keeps going and it doesn't stop. And so there is a brokenness in this world that will only be relieved when Jesus comes back and makes a new heaven and a new earth. But make no mistake that God is in the business of restoring all things to himself. And we see that by entering into every facet of what is broken and restoring all things to himself, but, but also he's doing that and using you and I for that. So the mission we have been placed on is founded in the gospel and moves forward in action as we respond to the gospel. So the text, 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it'll be on the screens. We're going to pick apart this morning. There's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to grab it, take it home with you, follow with us today, but also you can follow with us on the screens. 1 John 3:16 through 18. Now remember we agreed upon this, right? That it is possible to like this gospel message that we we think that it takes a root in us and sometimes it doesn't fully take that root that we thought. We all agreed on that, right? Well this text is really what it's going to talk about. 1 John 3:16 through 18 reads By this, we know love. Pretty important here. He's going to define love. By this, we know love, definable, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. First thing that we see in the text, three things today, um, <clears throat> they're all going to be the gospel foundations. Gospels' foundations define love. Gospel foundations define love. By this, we, by this, we know love. So we know. Now, this isn't just kind of like this mental ascent that I understand this. We know really has more of an idea of contemplation increasingly knowing this. So by this, we know increasingly. It doesn't come overnight, but as I contemplate on this, and so the deeper truth of what Jesus has done, by this, as we contemplate, contemplate on this, we will grow into greater depths of what it means. So love is about to be defined. So by this, we know love that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. Love is defined by the act that Jesus did for us on the cross. His deliberate, right, he laid down his life, his deliberate and willful act on our behalf to atone, to pay the price, to pay the penalty for our sins. That he was beaten, he was bruised, he suffered, he was crucified, he died, that he laid down his life for us that we might have eternal life in him. So for me, what that looks like in my life If maybe you were to ask me this morning, Ryan, what's the greatest need that you personally have? Simple. Atonement. I need my sins paid for. Because I believe that my sins, my shame, my guilt, nailed Jesus to the cross. I believe that because of what I did, he willfully stepped in front of the Mack truck that was coming at me And he pushed me out of the way, and he was brutally beaten and killed willfully for me. And if you go way back in my own life, what that looks like is when I was 21 years old, I was far from God and I was miserable. When I looked in the mirror, the words sort of sounded like this, I hate that guy. I didn't like who I was, I didn't like the life I was living, and I just wanted out of it and I had no way and no idea how to. The only thing that I had going for me is I grew up around the church and I grew up, be honest, around a lot of hypocrisy in the church, which I really struggled with. Right? I grew up in a church where somebody bought the wrong color of songbooks. It was like a church of 40 people Right, and, it, and then it became a church of 20 people. And then like two blocks down the road, there was another church of 20 people. And so I grew up around trial and struggle with that. And so there was truth I learned, but a lot of things that I saw that weren't really very godly or, are you with me? Yeah. And so all that I knew at that point in my life is I needed, I, needed, I knew I needed Jesus because I knew that he was real because there had to be something more. And I, I simply cried out and said, Jesus, here I am. Just take my life and do something with me and pull it out of where it is. I'll tell you something extravagantly happened in my life when I called out on Jesus. He answered me, and he began to do that. And what happened in my life is that that I I became connected with God, and I, I became his child, and I no longer felt a separation between me and him but a union and a peace inside of my soul that I cannot explain. I didn't feel the shame and the guilt anymore in my heart and life. It was gone. That guy that I looked at in the mirror, I I actually started to like because he took on a new identity. And that new identity that I was loved by God, I was cherished by God, I I was cared for by God. And I no longer was dealing with these demons in my head, but he was healing me from it, demons figuratively. Socially, I I began to have genuine relationships with other people. And there was people that were coming in my life that genuinely loved me and cared for me and spent time with me and taught me and and did things that had never happened before in my life. And I began to have hope beyond my own life. And so if, if you wanted to ask me the question, Ryan, what's the greatest need you have? To this day, the greatest need that I had and have is the atonement for my sins. The difference between that day and today you see, I didn't have it back then, and I do have it today. But see, I haven't got over my atonement. I haven't got over that Jesus laid his life down for me. And in this breath, and this life I have, I hope that the best of my ability, that I can exhaust and lay down my life for him because one day I will see him face to face. And this life that I have on earth is very, very brief compared to eternity with him. And if I can kind of give it all out for him in this world, I don't know, it just seems like that's the best thing I could do. And so in this text, what, what's happening is the gospel foundations define love. The greatest need that all of us have is atonement. And if simply we, we don't embrace this fundamental truth of what Jesus has done personally in our own hearts and lives, everything we do in regards to mercy and justice, in regards to ministry as a whole, if it's not out of what has been done for us, I propose to you, it will be all done in vanity. It will be somehow done for our own regard. It'll be done for our own regard, the applause of others, for some other motive, other than simply Jesus has done something significant for me, and now in return, in return, I want to do this to others. This is a significant thing that Christ has done for us on the cross. And church, has it gripped you? And see, this is where the gospel root. Does what Jesus, what he has done for you on the cross, does it grip your heart? When someone asks you the greatest need that you have, does does it come to your mouth, I need redemption? I needed it, and I still need it today. And one day I'll have it forever. Forever. Does it grip your heart what Jesus has done? And I'm just telling you, maybe you're like, Ryan, this is just too simple. I'm just going to preach this simple message my whole life because I don't think there is another message. And I think it's a thing for us if we ever get over the cross, if we ever get over what Jesus has done for us, we've missed the whole Christian life. We've missed the whole message because this is the one thing that we can't ever get over. And so you'd say maybe another question to me: What's the greatest need you have? Maybe second question would be Ryan. But but what has it done for you? Oh man, let me tell you like why I'm why I believe God is so good. Because in the midst of the struggle and the brokenness of this world, in the deaths and the life and the joys and the struggles and the pain, he is with me and he is my rock and he never leaves me or nor, for, nor he forsakes me. And he is with me and he is making me new and he's using me to step into things I never dreamt I could have, that I'm totally incapable of being light to shine into darkness. He's helped me to step into injustices and show his love and his grace and his peace in a way that I could have never dreamt. He is so good. And church, just hear me this morning on this. What Jesus has done, let us never get over it. Because nobody in this room, if you're of any worth or good to God, you weren't made by it. You, You didn't make it yourself. It's something that's been done in our hearts. We need redemption, and we need to live from the redemption we've been given. Second, gospel foundations define love, but gospel foundations lead to love so it's, it continues, and we ought to lay down, responsive, our lives, the totality of ourselves for the brothers. Now, this is plural, for the faith, right? For those in the faith, and I would propose that I, I don't think he's saying those out of the faith. I think, I think we can see from other places in Scripture, we're to love all. For the brothers, though specific in this text, for those in the family of faith, for the honor of his name, the advancement of his church, to show love at all costs, that others might see him, even to the point of risking or losing life, because of Jesus, that so we ought to, and the word is lay down, meaning willfully be willing to give of our very own lives for Jesus. So because Jesus has laid down his life for me, my response is to lay down my life for others. And it's this simple principle, isn't it? Because of what has been done for me, because Jesus stood in front of the Mack truck for me, I'm gonna stand in front of the Mack truck for somebody else. Because Jesus came and he paid the penalty for my sins, I'm gonna stand the gap and I'm going to be there for someone else. I'm going to lay my life down for him and his purposes. Now, there's this word inside of this and we talked about it at the beginning and there's this word ought. Now, there are these things in this world that we see all the time. And this word is when you see a homeless man with a sign, there's something inside of us. Even if you are, you know, a person that tends to say, ah, that guy's shady. I'm not going to give him any money. And I know you're out there because I I, bet I am that guy sometimes. There is something in us that says, man, that, that ought not be. People shouldn't have to stand on the corner asking for money right? There's something in us that says that. When you see a child without a mom and dad, there's something inside of us that says that ought not be that way. When we see brokenness, when we see families and dispute and dysfunction, there's something in us that says this ought not be. Now, just a little, little kind of side note. When Maybe there's like an overwhelming ought not in your life that might be the burden that God's calling in you to show his mercy and grace when there's something overwhelmingly in your heart saying that shouldn't be that way. And instead of saying that then, then we step into the ought, you know, children ought to have a home. People who don't have food ought to be able to eat. People without clothing ought to be clothed. People that, that are strangers and wanderers in another land ought to be cared for. That's Isaiah, by the way, basically all those things that I just said. And Jesus will quote it then in Matthew 25. So, so gospel foundations lead to love. We ought, what is this? We ought to lay down our lives for one another. Pretty high calling. Now, Jesus often talks about the church this way. He says that, that they would be one as we are one. He prays this. There's this unity that we ought to have as the church. What are we known for, anyone? Are we known for our unity as the church? Not typically. That means that we need to press into this and go harder at the gospel taking a deeper place in our heart that we ought to love one another, lay our lives down for one another. The gospel foundations lay our lives down for one another. The power of the ought, stepping into what ought be. The church ought to be a place where we lay down our lives for one another. So the gospel foundations lead to um, define love, lead to love, and gospel gospel foundations bring mercy Now, he's going from like this practical every day. And so before this, it was basically a principle. If you have received Jesus Christ and he has laid his life down for you, then you ought to lay your life down for the brothers. And now he continues into the practical and every day with a negative and a positive. The negative, but if anyone has the world's goods, raise your hand if you have the world's goods. All right, come on, liars, let's go, right? If anyone has the world's goods... Sorry, whoever just got offended that I called you a liar, um, right? And, and sees his brother in need, brother. Now, notice, he, he zooms in here. He's not dealing with brothers anymore, but he's saying, brother, this is getting individual. Loving every, this is what one, one commentator wrote, loving everybody in general is easier than loving an individual. So let's not generalize, yeah, I love people. Okay, cool. Who? Let's name it. So who's the brother that you're loving? Last week, week before, right? We can say these kind of things like, oh yeah, I love people, right? Like who? I remember going to a conference a while back and they, the first thing they said is, is um, like they asked these questions about doing ministry and then they said, who have you been doing ministry to? And I had to write down like specific names. It's very challenging for me actually at that time. It made me rethink a little bit of names. So here he's, he's going into the names but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother individualized in need, yet closes his heart against him, says no, not going to do it, not going to step into this need, how does, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? No evidence of a response to Christ to act on the cross for us because there is no act of compassion from us. I'll say that again no evidence of a response to Christ's act on the cross for us because there is no act of compassion from us. See, a few weeks ago, um, not a few weeks ago, this week, so um, Friday, night, Friday afternoon, I like, have you ever been sick to where you're like laying in bed and you're like, I think I'm gonna die? Like, that was Friday night for me, and so I'm like pseudo-recovering right now, So I had like this 13-hour illness where I thought I was going to die, and earlier in the week, we had two kids that were sick, and because my wife's pregnant, I laid down my life for her, and that meant that I was very exposed, and you can dream into that whatever you want, too many germs, and being very exposed, kind of in the midst of the like moving people around rooms and sleeping on the floor of one of the kids' rooms one night, this is... There, there was this kind of trying to keep everything quiet, and we have a three-year-old, and that's really hard to keep the room quiet. And uh, all that we heard, it felt like she was like climbing on the ceiling fan and jumping off of it. It was so loud, and, which is possible. And, and so, right, you've been with Karis. It's possible. She climbs to the top and everything. And so, so I just kept hearing this, bam, bam, bam. And I'll go upstairs, and she's jumping off one of the beds onto the floor. And I said, hey, you, baby, you can't, you gotta be quiet. Addie doesn't feel good. Like, we got to be quiet. And she goes, Dad, like, what are you talking about? Like, she goes, I'm a frog, (laughs) right? It was like, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't realize you were a frog. Frogs jump. And so it was like, what are you talking about? I'm a frog. This is what frogs do, Dad. And like, cognitively, I really think she believes And believed that moment that she was a frog. So it's like hard to discipline her because like I think she actually believes that. Like she's a frog. (laughs) See, I think we're a lot like Karis when it comes to Christianity. Is that we say we're Christian, but we don't we don't look it. We don't talk it. We don't do it. Now you can say you're a frog and hop off beds, and do whatever like she was, but it doesn't mean you are. Now, don't hear me saying in this that your good works gain you salvation. They don't. But your good works do show what's in you. Because what's in you, it comes out of you. It says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk. He includes himself in this. The Greek, this is logos and glosse. The word, and don't just do this, in word and with your lips, with what you say. Not to, not to mean that, that kind words aren't a good thing. They are. But if there's no actions, it's noise and Worthless. Without action, it is noise and it is worthless. But he says, but do it indeed and in truth, genuine in our love. Indeed, in truth. Love that originates in God expresses itself in our actions. Let us not love by the word of mouth, but by real deeds and actions, showing that I have embraced, that there has been a real deed and action done for me on the cross. And because that real deed was done for me and that real action was done on the cross, I am going to respond with my life with real deeds and real actions towards others out of gratitude for what has been done in me. It is the foundation of generosity, because there is none that has been more generous to us than the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when I set my eyes on him, when I seek him, when I behold him, when I abide in him, when I contemplate the depths of that, it is unending how gracious and kind and how merciful. And what happens is that begins to take root as I seek him, set my eyes on him, abide in him, remain in him, fix my eyes on him, behold him. And it takes root and it begins to grow up in my life. And as it begins to grow up, it begins to look like kindness and love and mercy and gospel witness and and stepping into the things that ought not be and making them something else, joining alongside of God in this great work of restoration. See, we watched it in the video, Frank. See, it wasn't about writing checks, although it would be really nice for somebody to write the check for that senator. I'm, I hope we find out later he does. I actually don't know. There's nothing wrong with giving money. It's a good thing. And hopefully people that have been given wealth do. We talked about that last week. Our money can own us more than we own it. But see, we see clearly in the video that, that what's beautiful Right? What's beautiful, it's the spoons and ladles. A spoon is for feeding yourself and a ladle is for serving others. Christ picked up the ultimate ladle for us and poured out mercy and grace for us on the cross. And we either can choose to live by the spoon and feed ourselves or pick up a ladle ourselves and serve others. You see, Jesus poured out his life for us and our response is to pour out ourselves for him, and his glory to others. Might we respond to the generosity that has been shown to us by living lives of generosity in the everyday? Let's pray. Father, we believe that your word is true. And Jesus, we believe that you laid down your life for us. We believe that you, you took the blow, you took the punishment for our sin. That you suffered, that you died the death that we deserve, so that we wouldn't die a second death, but that we could be with you forever in heaven. Jesus, we believe that you have given us a remedy for all that we need deep in our souls and our hearts and our lives. That the blessing that we long for of love and joy and peace, Lord, is ours in you. And Lord, as we increasingly receive your love, as we increasingly receive your joy, we increasingly know what you have done for us, how you laid your life down for us. Help us to lay our lives down for others and for the brothers, for the sisters, for those that you put in proximity to us now, that you will this week. Lord, move us to compassion, move us to mercy as we see the compassion and the mercy that you've shown us. Jesus, you are the source, you are the life and help us to respond well to what you have done, that we might partake in a small way of of displaying you to this world, the great work that you have done and are doing. Lord, help us now continue to think through this and respond well as we sing. I ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. We invite you to stand. And as we stand, we're gonna sing a song called Mercy. And these altars are open for you to come and pray. To whatever God might be laying on your heart this morning, let's worship together.